everybody, and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode number 23 for Wednesday, March 17th, 2010. Once again, I am Paul Fox, and joining me as always is my friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. So, Kevin, anything new in your life here in Hong Kong? Uh, yeah, got a got a job. <laughs> um, if you if you guys look at the Love HK Film Awards, uh, my new title, Bernie, as a jury member, is now new minion at YesAsia.com. So, well, congratulations! Have you have you, you. have you started the uh, corporate life that is the yep. working world? Yep, I've gone in uh, for a day. Um, right now, I'm not. I'm still trying to finish school first, but uh, yeah, I will be going to office from time to time. And yeah, after that, I will be. You'll be reading my uh, product descriptions when you shop at yesasia.com. Oh, congratulations. You've been upgraded to Cubicle Monkey. Indeed. I look <laughs> forward to it. Actually, we have no new films to talk about this week, so we're going to be doing a special episode focusing primarily on uh, releases on video. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about some news. <laughs> All right, Kevin, uh, what are we going to talk about for news first this week? Uh, first thing we got is the uh, Love HK Film Award nominations, um, which the Love H- annual Love HK Film Award is something that uh, Paul and I, uh, we both take part in every year. Um, and yeah, the latest the latest edition is out. It's a little, it's a little late this year, but uh, it is out. So, uh, Paul, have you looked at the nominations? Did uh, your picks uh, make the final round? Uh, a couple of them are in there, a couple of them. Uh, how about you? Did you? Uh, what do you think of the list? Well, um, for films, I mean, I, I didn't really have that tough of a time with uh, films. My biggest challenge every year is trying to pick performers. So you know, you have things like uh, most underrated actors, or you know, the new artists. I can't keep track of the new artists anymore. I'm not sure if it's because I'm getting older or something. Um, so it was it was hard for me to to make the nominations, uh, but I'm glad that you know that I'm 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 quite satisfied with the final list. There are quite a, some films that I think are really good, but didn't uh, end up making the final round for best picture. Uh, one of them is Citizen King, uh, which I ranked quite highly in my first nomination list. It's an indie film done by an actor Johnson Lee, who you might remember as the Andy Lam impersonator in Stephen Chow's uh, King of Comedy. Um, not widely seen, uh, had a couple of festival screenings, but uh, I think it's a very entertaining film. Um, and it sort of transcends that, uh, that indie taboo, uh, reputation that, uh, Hong Kong films, uh, get here. Uh, also Bodyguards and Assassin, which was actually very well received, uh, locally, um, perhaps not so much by our fellow jury members, um, didn't make it to the final, final round. Um, uh, but, and, uh, but Xu Lao Ching won nominations. Which is uh, quite surprising. Um, I, I mean, I like I like Lao Cheng One in every every of his role, but I didn't think his his role in Overheard or Written By were um, perhaps it couldn't stand out that much. I mean, it's, it's Lao Cheng One, so I guess you kind of put him at a higher standard. So even a, a good uh, average Lao Cheng One performance, I guess, is is good enough for Best Actor nominations. Yeah, I, I if I remember my list correctly, I was a bit more taken with um, Louis Koo for mm. accident and uh i though though i did like him and overheard i couldn't see nominate I, I don't typically like to nominate somebody twice uh for the same category whether it's director or actor um so i you know i try and spread things around a little bit though i'm not surprised i mean you know obviously lao ching Wan was very strong in both the films he's nominated for um we'll have to wait and see if uh, he ends up you know coming out on top mm. Uh, most underrated film. I'm surprised to see Jump as one of the most underrated films, but yet Kitty Zhang, who really carried that movie, didn't get most underrated performer. Um, she was really easily my favorite part of the film. I don't yeah. know about if you if you agree, Paul. Uh, she was good. She was good in the film. I I I wouldn't. That wouldn't have been my choice for underrated films. Um, I would have said I I think that I Corrupt All Cops was far more underrated. Uh, Kung Fu Chef definitely underrated. Uh, Split Second Murders, I would also agree. I think Jump was Jump just had the problem that we already talked about in that it was sort of postponed for so long because mm. of the need to re- do some reshooting and some recasting. So I think that hurt it more than anything else. 
Um, one of the one of the categories that's not listed here, however, is the most uh, overrated film. Uh, I don't have that list directly in front of me, but I do know that the film that I selected uh, did not make it on the list. The, the one that I had selected was Storm Warriors, which I felt was just totally, totally overrated. And well, but there is no rating. There is no good good word about it, though. That's the but thing. it was there was so much anticipation building up for that, you know, for a good part of the year, and then it was just such a major letdown. I felt that it was, it was just overblown and overrated, and we'll have to wait and see what what ends up taking that category. So there are, for those of you visiting the site, there are a number of sort of uh, negative categories: worst picture, worst actor, worst actress. Uh, most overrated film uh, that will also be voted on and that will be uh, listed on the lovehongkongfilm.com site uh, at a later time. This news uh, coming directly from Hong Kong is related to the film we talked about last week, uh, Echoes of the Rainbow. And Kevin, do you want to give us a little, give us a little bit of insight into this story? Sure. Um, Echoes of the Rainbow, um, even though the story itself takes place in Shum Shui Po, it was uh, filmed on a street called Wing Lee Street uh, in up in the hills in Sherman Wan because um, this street is really one of the very few streets uh, left in Hong Kong that still retains the old 60s uh, style building, the, the sort of three, four stories high um, uh, old apartment buildings. Now, now this, this whole... So this whole street was uh, prepared to be, I think, uh, rebuilt by the Urban Renewal Department um, in Hong Kong, I think they were only going to save three of those buildings. But after the uh, film uh, Echoes of the Rainbow won the big award, the Crystal Bear in Berlin, uh, people have uh, called for the government to sort of revisit that that project to to consider saving these buildings. And the people got what they want. The government decided to save uh, 12 buildings on this that short block of Wing Lee Street. Um, if anyone's looking at Google Maps, it's right uh, north of Kane Road, a very small street. Um, so yeah, they, they are planning to uh, try and save more buildings. Uh, but the problem is that a lot of people have already moved out. And, um, and if, I think if they were going to uh, save it as a historic landmark, the, um, the, the, the building owners would have to pay for the renovations themselves. So, um, you know, just good and bad. Uh, I think it's certainly great news for um, for rest restoration, I guess, the whole old Hong Kong, I guess, uh, keeping it a lot of preservation. Um, and it's good, really, really great to see a film, uh, especially a Hong Kong film, achieving that. Yeah. It's an interesting to point out, though, that, that I guess there are 12, uh, 12 of these building units in total. As you said, originally there were three slated for preservation, and they were trying to... They were going to, you know, sort of do away with the other other twelve. Um, these are a lot of these are owned by individuals who were waiting for sort of a government buyout, and you know, with that they would get, you know, government money for their home, and the government would re then also relocate them to some nice new government housing. So this deal, now that this has happened, is changing that, and so it's got some of the residents a little bit upset in that now they're not going to get their government money. Um, or relocation, and there's the government is going to want them to sort of you know renovate and sort of make the area a bit nicer, so that you know tourists can come and see it, and it'll be appealing for those people who are visiting it. There is a fund in place, if what I've read is correct, that will help you know subsidize some of the renovation but a lot of it's going to be up to the owners themselves to sort of take care of this so it's it seems like a good thing on the surface but there are people sort of on the other side of this who were looking for uh, the buyout by the government and who are not going to be receiving it and they're a little bit unhappy by this now i think if they really wanted to preserve these <laughs> buildings i think government could just buy out the place and preserve it on their own. I mean, they could make a museum out of it. They could do some kind of exhibition. I think there's something to be done here that won't have to cost the residents any money. Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's in Central or Shangwan, the Shangwan area. This is prime, prime real estate. I mean, the, the land that's here is is just, you know, increasing by leaps and bounds every year. So the idea of having sort of this little historical 
niche and i think it's fairly close to manmo temple if i remember the area correctly when i was looking on on google maps yes that this is just you know this is just another area that developers would probably like to go in and get a hold of and redevelop for their own purposes and who knows how long this will last i mean they're going to they're going to they're talking about you know having a new chief executive come in in a few years the possibility of of new elections for the legco a few years later these government positions come and go they change so the film is sort of fresh in everyone's mind right now who's to say 5 years from now 10 years from now the whole situation isn't real reevaluated and they've long forgotten this film and and the award that it's won uh, i'm not saying that's going to happen but in hong kong that that kind of you know sort of come and go attitude when it comes to historical preservation seems to be the rule of the day if you look back at some of the other movements to preserve things like you know the the clock tower over the star ferry pier and and things like that most of those were unsuccessful so uh i think it's good that the film is having this positive impact because i do think that it's been very unfortunate that a lot of historical sites in hong kong have been pushed by the wayside to make way for often what turns out to be very ugly new and modernized development but at the same time there's no real guarantee i think that this will have any real lasting impact unless there's a real sort of cultural change and this becomes something that's really more important to local people at, at a much deeper level uh i'm not sure how long it'll last yeah i definitely agree i mean people are fighting for this particular street but what about all those other old sites what about kwantong what about um um Shamshaipo, I mean, these old neighborhoods, they're, they're planned to be rebuilt and, and how many people will get evicted into far off suburbs um, for a little bit of cash. I mean, it's yeah, I think there's definitely a very weak preservation culture here. And um, I can only hope that I could be a little bit optimistic, but, you know, it's Hong Kong. It's real yeah. estate developers place. It's a stair city. So, yeah. Well, if you do want to take a look, uh, Kevin, you were telling me earlier that uh, Google Street View has now come to Hong Kong. So maybe you can go to the uh, the area on Google Maps and turn it over into Street View and and take a look at Wing Lee Street and all its current glory. Yes, just type in uh, Sherwan Wan uh, Hong Kong and then uh, you should you should find it. It should be right just north of Kane Street again. So. All right, our next bit of news is talking a little bit about the. Uh, sequel or actually the prequel to Founding of a Republic, and that is the new film or the the film that's currently in pre-production called The Founding of a Party. Uh, this film is slated for release in 2011, and it should begin shooting a bit later this year. And this is going to be released in celebration of the 90th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party. So what do you think, Kevin? Are we going to be able to look forward to 200 big stars this time? you think it's going to be uh, an even bigger blowout? Well, in the report, um, they expect another all-star cast, but the filmmakers may not use the, the super number of cameos that they did for Founder Republic. And Honestly, it, but then for me, you know, it wasn't for the cameos. I don't think there was anything worth watching in in, in a film like this. I think it, who said it? It was um, it was Ross or Kozo who had said it's basically a movie about meetings, one after the yeah. other, after after another. So it's a movie of meetings, and they're gonna meet again. I mean, I can't wait for you know, uh, Democratic Party to make the found the the American remake of the founding of a party. Or, or the Republicans will come out and make a founding of a party, and then Sarah Palin will have a major role. And I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, a movie for a political party, I don't. Yeah, but yeah. she'd have to be played by Tina Fey. I mean, <laughs> there, there'd, be, yeah. there'd be nobody else who could play that role. So, okay, uh, next little bit of news coming out of Korea. Uh, Korean movies are more expensive than ever, at least according to this uh, report coming from HollywoodReporter.com. Um, Kevin, what does this say to you? You consume probably a bit more Korean cinema than I do. Um, they, they, if I read the article correctly, it's basically saying that, you know, things are ex expensive, but audiences don't care. 
Yeah, I think I think that's sort of a global trend. Um, of course, because of um, 3D films and especially in Korea, where new new theaters are uh, popping up. I mean, it's still kind of a developing industry or developed industry, recently developed industry. You get bigger, better cineplex, and of course, higher ticket prices. And um, and apparently, sixty six percent of uh, people who were polled in this um, survey done by the Korean Film Council said that they don't really mind. Um, the the price of uh of an average movie ticket in Korea has uh has gone up, but uh, many people uh essentially still believe in the magic of film, and uh honestly I'm 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 tend to I, I kind of I agree. I mean I've been paying student ticket prices for years. I don't really get to um I don't feel it yet. But I mean yeah, when when the time comes, I'd pay regular price ticket, and they do go up. I mean what else am I gonna do? Of course, yeah. With the new theaters, I mean the ticket prices are. Going way up. I mean, Central. I think if you want to watch a film on a regular evening show, I think it's now up to seventy-five dollars, which is about. Yeah. I think it's about New York City price. Yeah. Uh, now in Hong Kong to watch a film in a in a more 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 um populous district. Yeah, but it's you know it's the whole bread and circuses idea all over again. People want their entertainment, and uh, if the price goes up, then you know they'll cut back in other areas. Yeah, I mean, do you do you are you gonna go? Are you do you agree with the Korean audiences? I mean, do you mind? Well, I, we, and we've talked about this before. I I would if suddenly, you know, starting next month, every film that came out was in three D, and we were paying three D prices. I think I'd definitely be cutting down on the amount of movies that I watch, because that's that's a tremendous jump in movie ticket prices. You know, it's okay once in a while to see. Uh, the 3D film and and to pay that inflated price if it's you know a, a big film that's been specifically geared for that as we talked about. But if every film is that, no, nah, that's gonna that's gonna that, that's gonna start to pinch. And I think that a lot of people would start at that price, maybe thinking about cutting back. All right, and our next bit of news: um, the Avatar Blu-ray uh, finally has a release date. And it looks like in 2D on DVD and Blu-ray on April 22nd, a four-disc edition will follow in November, and then a 3D version of Blu-ray will be sometime next year in 2011. You've got three editions basically coming in within a year period. Um, You've got the normal DVD and Blu-ray, You've got the four-disc special edition, I'm assuming, uh, coming half a month, half a year later, and then you've got a 3D version. Assuming you would have a 3D TV by then uh, on Blu-ray uh, sometime next year. Uh, which are you holding out for? I'm well. I'm not gonna get a 3D TV. I mean, it's it's not worth it. I don't. I don't support. I don't. I'm not into the format. So, I mean, I could see, and also I could see why they're holding it off so late. I mean, honestly, I can kind of justify every one of these releases. Uh, the 3D TV, obviously, they're waiting for 3D TV to be, to be more more popular before they, they, they send out the Blu-ray, which is perfectly fine. Um, but they can't wait until November for that four-disc release. And, you know, I mean, DVD extra content costs, needs, needs time. So there's no way they could get it out by April. But if they don't get it out by April, sometime between now and November, people are going to be, you know, pirating the film. So in a way, I mean, these are, I could see why they're doing these, all these releases, but in a way, it doesn't excuse it from them trying to, again, rip consumers off three times. Personally, I, I look forward to watching the film at home. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to see all the extras because I am interested in the making of this film, especially. But uh, yeah, um, it's too. I mean, it's too much within too little time. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, if you're looking forward to the extras and things, my thinking would be you'd you'd hold out for the four disc edition. I'm assuming. Yes. Four discs. Discs. It's going to have a lot of a lot more of those extras and behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. James Cameron is known for putting out elaborate or super long extended cuts, uh, which is what he did with the Abyss, uh, Terminator Two, Aliens. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to him doing the same here. I want to see a longer cut of Avatar, definitely. Yeah. But um, I guess the one good thing about the April release, and I'm not sure if they're just blowing smoke out of their uh, 
but um, it's that this soup, this uh, DVD slash Blu-ray release will be apparently the best possible audio video quality possible because um, I'm sorry, this is possible twice. Uh, yeah, they're going to cut out um, even the menus. They're going to cut out the warnings. They're just going straight to the movie to try and give it as many space on the disc as possible. Now, honestly, I'm not sure how much space the trailers or the menu is going to take. And I think this is sort of a, a promotional tactic to try and get people to buy a bare bones release. Um, what do you think, Paul? I mean, which 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 release are you holding out for? I, to be honest, I'm probably not going to get any of them right away. Uh, I was very content watching the film in cinemas. I think that it was a film that needed to be experienced sort of in 3D, uh, 3D IMAX if you could get tickets. But having seen it, I don't know. It's I, I just don't, I, for me, the experience, it was more about the experience that I was getting from the cinema as sort of a social and visual experience that I'm not going to have in a, you know, watching it on my, my, my two-dimensional television. Uh, like you said, I, I'm, I'm in a rush to go out and get a 3D uh, television. I'm, I'm not real sold on the technology yet. And... The story that leaves the story itself, which we've talked about before when we discussed the film, the story for me was no great shakes. So I'm, you know, if I find it, you know, for for movies that I I like but I don't really love, I typically wait till they go down in price, or I find like used version at a blockbuster, um, that's you know like sixty percent off or something. And if I find it like that, then that's probably when I'll pick it up. The the story was just not enough to make me really want to rush out and experience it outside of that sort of cinematic 3D experience, which, I, again, I think was great, but I think it's going to be a lot less when it gets on the small screen. All right, uh, another bit of news we have coming from uh, the IFC website, and this is talking about um, health food, uh, there's a push to put health food in the cinema. So, Kevin, health food in the cinema, what do you say? Um, well, okay, last week, uh, the CEO of Sony Pictures apparently gave a speech in uh, the States saying that um, 60% of audiences uh, would prefer or will want to buy healthier snacks when they go to the, to the theaters. Now, personally, what, what what's your favorite movie snack, uh, Paul? Um, honestly, if... If if I'm gonna be totally honest, I like to bring in stuff from the outside. Oh, yeah. No, um, it, it's the the prices are just so inflated. I typically, if I buy something at the at the snack bar, uh, it'll be a Coke. Uh, mm -hmm. I like to have a Coke with me when I'm watching films. I don't know. It's just it's this idea. I'm not a huge popcorn fan. I can eat popcorn once in a while, um, and, and I'm not a big candy eater. Um, but when I was when I first came to Hong Kong and I started watching uh, movies in some of the local houses where they don't have a snack bar and it's expected that you're going to bring in stuff from the outside, you know, I used to bring in you know whole meals of McDonald's and stuff, and so <laughs> I got accustomed sort of to doing that, and that's like a major offense. You can't even in like some of the movie theaters in the U.S. you can't even bring a bag inside. Um, but when I was little, you know, my mom used to buy these big christmas like five gallon tins of of popcorn and they'd have like three flavors they'd have like a cheddar flavor there'd be the cracker jack caramel flavor and they'd have like the butter or the salt flavor she'd get those for my dad and so then she'd like put these in in garbage bags and then <laughs> stick those in her purse and we'd bring in our own popcorn and stuff because yeah the prices are just really expensive <laughs> so i think that you know the idea of oh let's put in healthy food well, good grief. I mean, they're talking about yogurt. Yogurt, you go to the general store and yogurt's already pretty pricey. Imagine what the markup on yogurt would be, you know, mm -hmm. if they're selling that at the snack bar. Yeah, I mean, just imagine how, well, you, we can see in Hong Kong that how much, how much more orange juice it, it costs when it's in a coffee, coffee cafe, you know, yeah. when, instead of a, a convenience store. I, when I, I personally like, to eat a little bit of food when I watch a movie, um, even at home, maybe I get some chips or whatever. But um, for me, when I came back to Hong Kong, the, my favorite, I, I never really ate film uh, food at films in America, but when I came back here, I realized the, the magic 
of caramel popcorn and chocolate popcorn. And and yeah, some food you just can't get uh, outside the movie theater. I mean, if I want a yogurt, I'll go home. I'll go to the supermarket, get uh, some fat-free yogurt, and then go home and eat it while I watch a movie. But if I'm going to go to the theater, I want to watch something. I want to eat something that I can't get anywhere else or yeah. I can't get outside the movie experience. All right, our last little bit of news this week, um, some sad news, and two Hollywood stars, uh, Peter Graves and Corey, a young actor, or at least he was a child actor for a time, uh, Corey Haim, have both uh, passed away. Peter Graves apparently had a heart attack. Um, he's an older gentleman. But Corey Haim, uh, unfortunately, uh, apparently had a drug overdose, and he had been having lots of issues with this over the years. Uh, some people uh, outside of the U.S. may not be familiar with him, but his primary, his his most famous role, I think, internationally would have been The Lost Boys. And Peter Graves, uh, as we mentioned, an old bit of an older actor, uh, best known probably for his uh, TV roles. He was the, the lead character in the Mission Impossible TV series. It was long before uh, Tom Cruise got the movie franchise. And he was also quite famous for the role he played in the spoof disaster movie Airplane. Have you seen The Lost Boys, Kevin? No, I've been told that he was also in uh, The Goonies, which I never saw either. Was so, he in the Goonies? My, I, don't, yeah. I don't remember. Him see, in the see, Goonies. same reaction. See, <laughs> and I uh, jo- the only person I remember from The Goonies was Josh Brolin. I mean, he's still um, doing quite a bit of work these days as a mature actor i don't remember any of the other kids though i think the uh, the kid who was uh short round in temple of doom was also in goonies he, he was also in a uh, second time around the jeff lao film starring Yiki chen yeah 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 that's right so still going anyway but I mean, the only impression i have of Corey haim sadly is um in magnolia which is one of my favorite films when um the, the father of the child project character, he's an aspiring actor, and he keeps talking about auditioning for the Corey Haim's high school terrorist project. Yeah. So that was the only my only impression of Corey Haim. Um, sadly, I haven't seen his work. So, um, but yeah, I, it's the, his death is is very unfortunate. Um, and I just had hoped that he he you know thing had gotten better for him, but apparently didn't. But you misread my meaning when I met you. Close the door and left me blinded by the Okay, so as we mentioned before, uh, this week we don't have any new films to talk about, so we're going to be talking about some video releases for East Screen and West Screen. Uh, Up first for East Screen, Kevin, you're going to talk a little bit about the Fallen Angels Blu-ray. Yeah, um, I personally don't own this Blu-ray, sadly. Um, I watched the part of the Chungking Express Blu-ray done by um, Criterion, and I have to say that Wong Kar-wai is definitely getting a new, more vibrant life on Blu-ray. Um, the Fallen Angels Blu-ray is considerably uh, ch- uh, lower in price, and it's also not done by, done, not done by Criterion, but um, it is also a, fa- a Wong Kar-wai favorite of one of my friends. Uh, personally, I don't like the film as much as Chungking Express, so I haven't, I'm, I have my hesitation about getting the film. But um, yeah, anyone... The old print, uh, I think the old DVD, um, not counting the Mayao remaster, the old prints have all looked very old. So um, I think it's also his, the, the darkest, I think, out of all uh, Wong Kar-wai's films, I think.
Um, what do you think of in terms of the accessibility of of something like Fallen Angels? I mean, so some of some of his work, from a narrative perspective, tends to be a little bit easier for the newcomer or for I think somebody who's not hardcore. very familiar with Wong Kar Wai. I don't. I wouldn't recommend this, this film for anyone in sort of a that is not familiar with Wong's work. Um, I would suggest they probably watch Chungking Express first, which again looks beautiful on on Blu-ray. Um, also, perhaps Ashes of Time, uh, just to sort of get into more difficult Wong Kar Wai and then pick up this film. Because once again, it's very dark, it's violent, um, there's some fairly extreme stuff. If anyone who's seen it, I mean, they know what scene I'm talking about. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely not an accessible film for non-Wong Kar Wai um, viewers. If you would like to see um, Wong Kar Wai on high definition and I guess see the closest possible accurate representation to the film, um, definitely check out the Blu-ray. It's out there. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Our next film for East Screen, or next video for East Screen that we're going to be talking about this week is Short of Love. This is the uh, film starring Wong Cho Lam and uh, a bunch of other female actresses from... Uh, Hong Kong, including Angela Baby, Ray Swong, Kate Tsui, uh, and JJ, among others. Um, so, Short of Love, the DVD is released through the Maya uh, distribution. And the, the film itself we'll talk about in just a moment. But uh, in terms of special features, there's a uh, making of, which does not have any subtitles. So, if you're not proficient in Cantonese in any way, shape, or form, um, you're, there's probably not, not a lot going on there that would attract you. It, the, the making of is only about five minutes long, and that includes about a minute and a half of that five minutes simply being a reshowing of the trailer of the film at the end. Um, the trailer itself is also available as a separate feature selection, and then they have a trailer for a movie called uh, Winds of September uh, as well. There is Excellent a, movie, by the way. Yeah, Sorry. Yes. There is a there's a data bank, which basically gives you a synopsis of the film in either English or Chinese. You can select, and has a brief listing of the cast, but no real uh, cast or filmographies to choose from. So very limited features um, in in terms of the special features on available. And nothing too extraordinary. Uh, Maya discs are typically not known for being very in-depth with their special features. The film itself basically tells the story of uh, the character, main character played by Wong Cho Lam, who's sort of a playboy and rich guy, makes a lot of money in the stock market. His girlfriend at the time is played by Chrissy Chow. She suddenly feels uh, through a misunderstanding that he's lost all his money, and so she dumps him. Uh, having been dumped, and he finds himself upset wandering on the street where he bumps into uh, what looks like an angel, a uh, young girl giving out flyers on the street, played by Angela Baby, who convinces him to um, try to be more giving and caring in his life, and that love will come to him if he changes his personality. And this basically leads him onto a series of uh, three different adventures with different women. Uh, including Kate Tsui, uh, JJ. Um, he also has a, an assistant played by Ella Kuhn, uh, who's who's in it. Uh, I love you boys make an appearance, and uh, Race Wong is also one of the other girls that uh, he ends up sort of encountering in potential relationships. So basically, you have three different sort of short stories of potential romantic interests or flings that he ends up having with these different characters. And ultimately, he tries to help improve their lives somehow. Um, this, the film is fairly funny in, in certain scenes. Um, if you're very familiar with uh, some of James Yun's earlier work, he's sort of self-commenting in a few places, particularly on his uh, Andy Lau feature, A Moment of Romance. Um, he makes fun of that in, in quite a few ways. If you haven't seen that film or you're not really familiar with that, I think some of the humor may be lost on you. And Wong Cho Lam himself has been getting a lot of publicity and a lot of attention in the past year. This is the first film where he's sort of the lead. And I think he does fairly well. 
um, considering that he does sort of fall outside, well outside of what you would consider as the, the, the male lead Hong Kong archetype, which if we were to say someone like, you know, Andy Lau, Tony Lang, uh, Louis Koo, um, he, he's, he's really not in any of those categories. Um, but he does have a very good comic potential. Um, he does at sometimes seem to try and channel a little bit of Jim Chim, uh, Chim Soiman, a little bit too much for my taste. Um, mm -hmm. but that just seems to be his style. Uh, now, Kevin, you've seen this film, right? Yes, I've seen this film and, uh, I think, like Jim Chim, I think Guan Chiu Nam is much better as a supporting actor than a, than a main actor. Um, I did. With that said, I think I did like the film. I like I enjoyed the film first time I saw it, but um, I wouldn't say it's anything great. I think the Andy Lau um, parody is easily the best part of the film, but I didn't really enjoy the other two stories as much. And um, and I wish Ella Kuhn would have been replaced one of those women because she's like I think I think she's easily the best. The hottest one of the the, the the woman i mean next to like it's andrew baby who you know is an angel yeah so um yeah um and you know the film i think is fine um it's 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 a really vehicle for one Nam and and it really shows off of what he does but i think on the other hand also just sort of proves that people really can't stand um these sort of um energetic really over almost overly enthusiastic comedians that they really shouldn't try and lead their own film yeah um but outside of the film i'll talk about a little bit more about the dvd is that if you want to know more about the film you don't have to read the back of the box because uh may i has essentially lifted um the description of the back of the box the english version at least from uh love hk films review sans the uh the 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 negative stuff so if you want to read more about the film uh just go lovehkfilm.com and read kozo's review to our West Screen picks for this week. Uh, up first, we'll be talking about Michael Moore's new film, uh, Capitalism, A Love Story. Uh, this is a film which is primarily focused on the fallout of the financial tsunami, um, the bank bailouts, and the housing mortgage crisis, which has been occur basically started to come to a head in 2008. Um, being a very political issue with the banks being bailed out by the U.S. government. Obviously, Michael Moore uh, was uh, looking at what was going on, and he decided he wanted to make a film about it. And the result is this film, Capitalism, A Love Story, which is now available on DVD. This is a film that you are either going to like or dislike, primarily based on whether you like or dislike Michael Moore and the way that he works. Uh, it is a documentary, but it is very much in his signature style of making documentaries, um, with him doing what um, he's become famous for, which is basically ambush tactics, uh, running up to a place, trying to interview people, or making a scene. The classic scene that he does here, which is shown in the trailer, is that uh, he goes to Wall Street uh, to some of the firms like uh, AIG and others, and he he's there with a with a big Brinks truck uh, for taking out cash and he's there to get hit the people's money back basically and basically you've got the camera 
and him confronted by the occasional security guards, and that's about all there is to the scene. Not a whole lot of substance to those scenes. If you find if you find humor in those and those types of encounters, you'll like it. Um, more interesting are so, is some of the interviews that he does. He sort of retraces his steps. He he traces uh, the way things sort of occurred with big business, and he he gets in touch with some of the work that he did in his first film, Roger and Me, which was about the automotive industry. And he actually goes back to uh, the headquarters there and tries to, uh, again, get an interview. And he is, uh, again, turned away, uh, as, he, as he always is. Very few people who know Michael Moore uh, will actually come out and talk with him. So he has a number of hosts, people who generally support his ideas or support his opinions in terms of shaping the argument. So your reaction to this film is really, again, going to be based on do you agree with the, his positions and the things he's saying, or do you disagree? Um, it's doubtful that this film will really change anybody's mind. It does show some interesting um, alternatives to the way things are done in the United States. It shows some uh, collective businesses operating. It shows some uh, organizations in communities that are trying to make things better. And I think that's where this film is really at its best moments, when it's it's no, when the camera's not focused on Michael Moore pulling stunts, but it's actually focused on real people doing real things. Um, the, the DVD does feature a lot of extra footage. Um, on the front, it claims that this is upwards of uh, 80 minutes of all-new material, not sure if it's all new material it's it looks more like material that was that didn't make the final cut for the theatrical release of the film but there is quite a bit there uh, in terms of extra footage extra interviews to go through and see uh, and a lot of that ends up being more interesting because they're unedited it's sort of these full-length sit-down interviews without any pop-up animations to as as sort of is done to continue the narrative in the film these are sort of it's sort of raw footage of him sort of sitting sitting down and talking with people and a lot of that turns out to be far more informative and entertaining in in many ways than the actual documentary film itself um so kevin you a michael moore fan um i am of the sort of same I, i'm a liberal okay yeah. like him i guess but um, I've over the years I've come I've come to realize I mean the way he makes films and the the way he gets he uses the way he uses the format of cinema um, to essentially prove uh, to 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 prove his own point and I can't say I really agree with it and I've stopped watching his films after Fahrenheit 9/11 mm. um, but it is it is for a topical topic and I am interested in watching it and I'm certainly more interest now, at least in check out DVD now that you've talked about what is featured on the DVD. So yeah. I kind of look forward to seeing it. I'm sort of of the same mind. I mean, I initially his, his earlier films like Bowling for Columbine, um, I really enjoyed those. But once you've sort of gotten used to that style and it just becomes more of the same in many ways, it does get kind of old. Uh, and And it does become a bit more about style over substance in some of the areas. And so that's why yeah, with all the extra footage that's on the on the DVD, um, if you're just looking for information or you're looking for stories, a lot of that becomes far more interesting in many ways. I didn't see his last movie, which was the one that was released for free on the net. I think it was called Slacker Uprising, but I've mm -hmm. seen all I've seen all of his other stuff to date. Um, and I do I do as a filmmaker, I think you know for documentaries, he's revolutionized a lot of stylistic elements about documentaries um and while i do i i am i do tend to lean in his direction a little bit with some of the messages sometimes i think that the way that he goes about it with the stunts and everything's it's just gotten to be a little bit too much um and i and i much prefer to sit down and see more sort of straightforward information All right, our second video for West Screen this week is Hachiko, A Dog's Tale. Uh, I haven't seen this, so I'm going to turn it over to Kevin, and he's going to tell us all about this uh, Richard Gere vehicle. Sure. Um, 
if people who've been in Tokyo, I think, know the story of Hachiko the dog. Um, it was a very loyal dog um, who waited essentially for his owner every day in front of the train station at the end of the workday, even after his owner has died. In commemoration of this very loyal dog, the Japanese uh, erected a statue of him in front of uh, Shibuya Station, uh, which is easily, I think, one of the world's most pop, uh, crowded stations, uh, train stations. Um, and it's also become a very famous, uh, popular meeting place for people now. And so um, anyone who wants to go to Shibuya, they say meet at Hachiko. So that's the background um, into this American um, version of the, of the story. Um, it's directed by Lassie Hellstrom, who did uh, the Sarder House Rules um, and Chocolat, and uh, remake stars Richard Gere as the owner. So, needless to say, I don't have, to, I don't think I have to ruin, I don't think I'm ruining anything when I say that. Yes, Richard Gere, um, he 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 takes a hold, or he comes to be in the owner to be an owner of this dog, who is very loyal and uh, of course um, uh, very cute. Um, but then one day tragedy strikes, and then we see the dog's loyalty, um, being yeah for for the for the, for the, for his owner. Um, what I liked about this film, I really actually I really, I, I was uh, surprised because I, I thought I was expecting to watch a really teary eye uh, tearjerker of a pet movie, which has kind of dominated the pet movie uh, genre, I guess, in the last couple of years. But what I was surprised is um, Hausstrom's work on it is really kind of unsentimental um i ran a production notes is that he knew how how sad the story would be or how much of a tearjerker it would be and he intentionally went the other direction he intentionally used as little i guess little of the um the 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 the, the music cues or little as little cutaway shot to the dog as little of those sort of um um effect as possible to drive the story. I mean, the story itself, again, is very sad and it's it's um, quite emotional as it is. And I'm glad to see a director really trying to tone down or trying to uh, let the story speak for itself. So Hellshow's work is very, very good here. Um, Richard Gere is, is quite good. Uh, he's kind of playing his own age. Uh, he plays a grandfather-aged um, character in the film. Um, the dog, again, very cute. Uh, the New England... Um, uh, landscape, the snowy landscape, uh, quite well captured. Um, and yeah, if you're a dog owner, you probably cry your eyes out, which is uh, natural. Um, but again, I, I really appreciative that the film didn't try hard to make you cry. Just use the story um, to to touch people, to move people, and I think it's quite effective. I mean, I didn't cry. Um, actually, very hard to get me to cry at movies. But even though I like dogs very much, and um, but I think it was very effective. I was quite moved from the film, surprisingly, because it, sent, it went straight to video in, in America, which is sad because I definitely think there are, are worse films that are being put out into theaters and better films that, better films, what was I trying to say? Yeah, there have definitely been worse films that have been put into theaters. So it's very sad that Hachiko didn't get its light of day in, in America. Now, Kevin, uh, you, said, yes. you just said you, you don't cry in movies, but... I thought for sure I saw you crying when we watched Storm Riders. Oh, definitely. Um, I was feeling for Charlene. Um, I wish she had more to do. No. Uh, how does this compare with other dog movies, like, uh, say, Marley and Me or the Japanese movie uh, C.U.Q.? Um, what, what would you say in terms of, of dog films of all time? Is this, a, is this up there with, like, Old Yeller, or how would you quantify it? The thing is, I like dogs, but I don't watch many dog films. Um, I didn't watch Marley and Me, which looked more like a, a, a Owen Wilson, Jennifer Aston vehicle more than the dog movie. Uh, and I didn't watch Quilt, but I did watch um, the movie about the Mari and her three puppies. And I watched, um, I believe, Ten Rules or Nine Rules. Those are Japanese dog movies. Uh, nine, Ten Rules about my dog or something. And this definitely is better. Um, again, I mean, those a lot of these dog movies really depend on how cute the dog is to drive the movie. Here, I think um, they really use the one the relationship between the human and the dog, um, and also again uses the the storytelling to drive the story. Instead of we know the dog is cute, we don't need to see cutaway shots of the dog being cute. In fact, I think there are some points where um, the movie sort of try too hard to tone it down. Um, the music he uses is kind of 
seems like it's coming out of um uh um it looks like it's out of like a serial killer thriller at points very dark music it's not definitely not the sort of kind gentle piano driven music you might hear in um in a regular dog movie um I don't. I wouldn't think this is a classic dog movie. Again, the tale has been told so many times, and in Japanese culture, it's so well known. Right, there is no surprise here, which is why I was perfectly comfortable with with telling the the whole essentially the whole story uh, on the podcast. Um, so I guess I think there's one element that 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 works against it, but again, it's it's really a much stronger film than its reputation might suggest. So yeah, for for dog lovers, definitely watch it. Even if you're not dog lover, um, I think definitely check it out because Richard Gere uh, is not too bad here as a producer on the film, and for a good reason, he he got involved with the film after he read the script, and yeah, I think it's definitely a sort of a gem, uh, sort of an underrated gem. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. For more information, visit Comcast.com. That's going to wrap up our show for this week. And we've covered quite a bit this time. Uh, next time, we'll be looking at the new films, uh, Just Another Pandora's Box, the latest film by Ronald Cheng, as well as Womb Ghosts, a classic in the making uh, with a title like that. Um, so, Kevin, anything, any last-minute thoughts or anything you would uh, like to talk about before we sign off? Um, no, spring is in the air. Um, film art is coming to town. Uh, the film festival is starting. In other words, it's my favorite time of year, so enjoy. Lots of stuff to talk about, so we hope to have these shows as regular as possible. Until then, we will wish you good viewing, and we will see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Well, you know what? I I will only watch it if Andy Lau gets to play Mao this time. Well, that'd be interesting. Andy Mao. <laughs> and he'd be a singer, right? <laughs> have to sing, sing a love song for the people <laughs> of China. His love for the Communist Party, yes. Yeah. You know, it, will it be a bigger and badder production being sort of a sequel-prequel kind of idea? Um, will it turn out to be you know, the phantom menace of political films in China. Who knows? Ooh, Jar Jar ruining the Communist Party. <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> like that.